In today's episode of It Starts With Attraction, it's going to be a little bit different than how we typically approach these episodes. I'm just going to share with you some things from my life, what spiritual attraction means to me and how it has helped form me and continue to help form me into the person that I am becoming. I have a pastor at the church I go to, and I love what he says. He often says life and the things that we do and the habits we create and all of those things aren't so much about what we are doing. It's more about who we are becoming. I think that's really powerful. Let's dive into what that means in today's episode. There's a process to falling in love, and it starts with attraction. Join Kimberly Beam Holmes and her special guests as they discuss how to become the most attractive you can be physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as we refer to it, working on your pies. We'll teach you how to have better relationships and become more attractive to others, and maybe more importantly, to yourself. It starts with attraction, and it starts now. Spiritual attraction at its core is all about living in line with a beliefs and value system that you have. When my husband and I were dating, I remember that he was a person that I perceived, and it was true, to have an equal to or better than beliefs and value system than me. Specifically, what I was first attracted to about my husband, this is honest to goodness, the truth. And I believe he's going to be coming on with me in an episode in the next couple of weeks about spiritual attraction, where we're going to talk about what that looks like in our relationship. But honestly, the first thing that attracted me to my husband was, um, well, so my husband and I met originally, let me just back up a little bit and give some, some context. We originally first met when we were children at church together. So for those of you who may or may not know, my dad was a preacher for several, several years. And he was a very well known preacher, especially in the denomination that we grew up in, which doesn't matter here nor there, just to give you an idea of like, everyone knew my dad. And I still to this day, have people come up to me and say, your dad changed my life, or I heard a sermon he spoke and gave my life to Jesus. And so it's like, yeah, no pressure on my life about the shoes that I that I'm following and have to fill. But but that's what it was. And so my, uh, when my dad was a preacher, when I was young, we went to a church in the city that we lived in Augusta, Georgia at the time. And my husband went to that church too. And his mom would come over to our house to help my mom do stuff around the house every so often. And so he would come over, my husband, Rob, would come over and we would play together. That might not actually be the right description of what we did. We would fight together. (laughs) I remember vividly that he would come into my room, into my bedroom and start going into my closet where I had all these toys and he would start pulling toys out to play with. And every toy that he would take out, I would take from him and put it on the other side of the room saying that he couldn't play with it. (laughs) hands down. I, this is exactly what happened. We also, one time I had one of those Fisher price 
cars, the ones that are the red body with the yellow top that the kid kind of gets in and, and goes around like he's Fred Flintstone using his feet to, to power it. Nothing like the cars my kids have now at my parents' house, which are battery powered and go like five miles an hour. Ridiculous. Totally spoiled. My children are totally spoiled. But I had one of those cars when I was young. And Rob and I, when we were like four and six years old, were out there playing in them. And he wanted to play in my Fisher-Price car. And I did not want him to play in my Fisher-Price car. And so he would get in and start going away. And I threw my body on top of the roof of this car and started screaming and yelling for him to get out of it, which he didn't. He just kept going, saying, I'm going to keep going. Get off the roof of the car. And this explains a lot about our marriage. For those of you who have heard other episodes about he and I are both very stubborn. We're both high D commanders on the disc scale and we fight. So we fight a lot and we started fighting when we were four years old and it has never stopped since, but we love each other. We love each other because of it. So what does all this have to do with spiritual attraction? So my husband and I re-met in college. He had actually just graduated college and was going to be a uh, pilot for the United States Army. And I was a few years younger than him. But I, so I didn't know we were at the same college. He knew I was there, but I never knew that he was there. And he just figured, you know, whatever, she probably won't remember me, so on and so forth. But apparently my friends, my best friends, like my roommates and and all of those people in college knew him because they had gone on mission trips with him. And They, one of the first things outside of how I remembered Rob as children, one of the first things I learned about Rob in college was that he was the guy who, because he had an ROTC income, so he was, he was going into the army, he was in the ROTC program and they would pay him a stipend. So he had money, like he, he wasn't a broke college kid. He actually had money and what he would do with that money is he would pay for people's mission trips. And I remember when they told me that, and actually the words out of their mouth, it was my friend, Jamie. And she said, Kimberly Beam, she would call me Beam, Beam, you have to date this guy. He is such a good guy. He pays for people's mission trips and he goes on mission trips and he's so generous with people and he helps the homeless. Like this is the first thing I heard about Rob And I was attracted to that person. I was instantly attracted to the fact that this was a guy who was what I perceived to be like he had better beliefs and values than me. He was doing even more than me. And at the time, I was a missions a mission student, so I was a, a psych major, but a missions minor, and I was planning to for the like the spring semester of my junior year my plan was to do YWAM something called youth with a mission i was planning to go and live as a missionary for 6 months and take a semester off of school because that is what i wanted to do it's what i wanted to do with my life and so the fact that there was a guy who shared this same love and passion for missions and doing things to practically help other people i was i was done I was done. And then I stalked him on Facebook, found him on Facebook and saw that he was actually super, super attractive. And it totally helped that he was training to be a pilot. And I just fell. I just fell. So we started messaging each other on Facebook and I won't tell any more of the details. I mean, clearly we all know how it ends. (laughs) 
we're married and have two kids now. But hopefully we'll share more of that and what it looks like in the episode we talked about with spiritual attraction. But I was attracted to him. I was attracted to how generous he was. I was attracted to the fact that people had amazing things to say about his character. And that matters. When my husband and I went to the marriage helper workshop, one of the one of the questions we were kind of going over one of the days was a question of what first attracted you to your spouse. And I remember Rob saying about me the same types of things, the same things of, you know, I knew that she loved God. I knew that she was this good person. He was spiritually attracted to me before anything else. Now, of course, as a woman, there's part of me that's like, I wanted it to be, she was just the most beautiful woman I had ever seen, right? And that's the first thing he talks about that he was attracted to me by. But when I really think about it and think about how these pies play into each other, how how the power of the physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual, you can see why, yes, physical is important and it's more important for short-term relationships. What I mean by that is typically when people are looking for shorter-term relationships, they place more emphasis on the physical part of the pies in looking for another person. But when you are looking at those long-term relationships, the intellectual attraction, the ability to talk with someone and be able to have great conversations and feel like this is your best friend, emotional, the ability the ability to be with someone who evoke emotions within you that you enjoy feeling and you evoking emotions within them that they enjoy feeling, that's so incredibly strong and important for long-term relationships. But then spiritual, I think a lot of times we kind of get to this point and we're like, oh, and spiritual, yeah, like be a good person, live in line with your beliefs and values. But it's, it's more than that. Because right now we're living in a culture, we're living in a society that's saying truth is relative. And maybe there are some of you where where the things that I say over the next couple of minutes, you don't completely agree with. And I respect you for that. I encourage you to still listen anyway and listen in and lean in and see where you're challenged or see where you may want to adjust your thinking or just see how it can help you become even more attractive spiritually. Because here's the truth. We find it attractive when there are people who have strong beliefs and values and stand up for them. Now, what is not attractive is being the kind of person that 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 flaunts your beliefs and values and it either becomes something that you use to gain a following because it sounds good or it becomes something you use to beat other people over their heads with when they don't agree with you. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm I'm talking about what could it look like? What should it look like for you and for your life to live in line with your beliefs and values and stand strong in them, even when it's hard to do so? It's an important question. It's an incredibly important question. I've been reading several books over the past couple of months now, and one of them that has really challenged me in in a good way, but helped me to just see things a little differently or open my eyes a bit more is one called, I believe it's the rise and triumph of the modern self. Now I will let you know, I believe this author is a Christian, but he, he really looks backward into how we got to this place where we are right now in America 
and really most of the Western world, where sex seems to be what everyone is chasing. Now, here's what I mean by that. When you look at a lot of the politics or the way that culture is going, or goodness, I mean, even looking at movies or TV shows that we watch, when people think about wanting to be happy, that happiness a lot of times is equated to sex. I want to be able to be with who I want to be, have sex with who I want to, when I want to, how I want to, where I want to, and not have any consequences of it. And the author even looks back into seeing how different politics, different literature, different art has has really begun, I mean, centuries past, painting this picture of maybe we shouldn't have a structure to our society. Maybe there is no validity to the nuclear family. Maybe we really should just focus on doing what makes me happy when what makes me happy is sex. Now, why am I bringing this up in this podcast about (laughs) spiritual attraction and living in line with our beliefs and values? Because I believe fundamentally that the world is in a dire need for hope and for truth. And so much of what is out there right now, so much of what has probably formed your beliefs and values, so much of what has formed my beliefs and values may have been along the lines of do what makes me happy. Or it may have been along along the lines of how can we disagree or how do we set ourselves apart from the people who are trying to do what makes them happy? And it's created this chasm. So let me speak even more, even more clearly about it. As a Christian and as someone who honestly loves Jesus. I can see how many Christians have, 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 have taken their belief of, of even things like waiting until marriage to have sex. And then looked at, at people who did not hold those same beliefs and values. And instead of loving them, leaning into them, being friends with them, being there for them, instead of showing them the love of Jesus through how we treat them, many times we instead like use the Bible and use scripture and use Jesus to beat these people over the head and damn them. That's how it feels like condemn them for the actions that they're doing. And And it just creates a larger and a larger divide. And so many times when we talk about these spiritual beliefs and values, these, these, this spiritual part of attraction and the beliefs and values that accompany those, there's the people who listen to the podcast or follow Marriage Helper or follow me. And they say, but I am not a Christian. How does this apply to me? I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But I first want to speak to the people who are Christians, who, who, are trying to figure out in this world, like, how do I take these beliefs and values that I have and, and live them out in a way where I'm not shunning people or excluding them or pushing them away? How do I love them even more? Because that's the goal for anyone, for, for any faith that's listening to this. It's not how do you become further involved in an echo chamber where all you hear are other people who echo your exact thoughts and beliefs 
right or wrong. Like that's not what makes us attractive individuals. And it's not the goal of living out our beliefs and values. The goal of being able to live out our beliefs and values is saying, I want to do something to help make the world a better place. And how can I do that? For me, unashamedly, it's Jesus. I, I want to be better at being a person who can share the hope and the love of Jesus, of the gospel, of what he has done for us, but do that in a way that is inviting and not condemning. Do that in a way that is loving and not hateful. Do that in a way that leans in and listens to people with curiosity, understanding their story, the pain that they've gone through in their past, and just being a friend to them instead of being one of those people who just is constantly disconnected from the person, doesn't have a relationship with them, but is constantly just saying, just pushing people to church or either using scripture to tell people they're wrong. Now, for the people who are not Christians or hold a different faith, then my encouragement and challenge for you is the same. Just just take it take the the Christian part out of it, but it's the same thing. How can you take, like, what are, what is the thing you want to give back to the world? What are the beliefs and the values that you hold true? And how can you do that in a way that is respectful, that is loving, that is encouraging, that, in, that incites friendship, that incites connection and relationship, because that is the goal. Spiritual attraction. When I feel my most spiritually attractive, it is when I'm feeling most challenged. I'm thinking back to just the past several weeks. Um, gosh, honestly, even the past year, last year on the 4th of July, there was um, a sermon at church that our pastor preached about forgiveness, which is ironic that the 4th of July, like the day all about freedom is the day to talk about forgiveness. And uh, very true because unforgiveness holds us prisoner, whereas forgiveness frees us. And there is a person in my life uh, who from, who is, who I, I don't have a good relationship with. There were things that were done and said to me when I was younger that I didn't tell anyone about that someone did, that someone did and said to me, and I, I held it in for several years. And by the time I finally opened up about it, it's for better or for worse now, I've, I have forgiven this, but I'm, I will share what happened. Uh, the, the response back to me of the people that I told it to was, well, there's nothing we can do about it now. So let's just move on. And so for several years, I didn't address it because I thought I was weak or I thought that it, you know, I should be stronger than this. I should just move on and not think about it. But the honest truth of it was for 20 years, I was really experiencing little T trauma and I wasn't allowing myself to address it. And I was not forgiving the person who had done it to me. And 
for many reasons, I convinced myself it wasn't that big of a deal. I shouldn't even think about it. I should just move on. But I really, over a series of many events, I realized I really have to focus on on forgiveness. And so I, I did. I mean, I starting that time last year, I just made a concerted effort to work through that little tree T trauma. I got involved in EMDR. I, which was incredibly draining. I mean, if any of you have ever done EMDR therapy, you know, if you haven't, you're basically voluntarily entering into a conversation, every therapy appointment you go to of remembering the hardest memories in your life. And just working with a therapist through recovering from that. And it's incredibly challenging. And so a lot of feelings came up, a lot of memories came up, a lot of a lot of connections I was actually able to make in my mind of how things worked together and and why I um, I actually was even able to make the connection between my anxiety. So many of you who listen know that I have struggled with generalized anxiety disorder since I was six years old. And I, I I started piecing things together and realizing part of the reason I struggle with that is because there was a time in my life that I didn't feel like anyone was going to protect me. So I felt like I had to protect myself, which led to hypochondria and generalized anxiety disorder. And I mean, there have been times in my life where my anxiety is, has been so debilitating. I could not even function on a day-to-day basis. And I will say it is in those same times that I have felt the need to press in to my beliefs and values even more because I had nothing else to turn to. When you get that low, when you get that broken, when you get that amount of realizing how not in control you are, even of your own thoughts, for me, there had to be something greater. There had to be something greater, someone greater to lean on to get me through that time. And so going back to what I was saying earlier, the times where I felt most spiritually attractive, I don't know if my husband Rob would say those times I was most spiritually attractive, but the times that I felt closest to my beliefs and values have been the hardest seasons of my life. And they are never things I would pray for. (laughs) I mean, I would never pray for God, like bring an incredibly difficult season But what I've realized over my young, I mean, my short years over this earth, I'm still much younger than even many of the listeners on the podcast, which I would just love to even know your stories because I know they are rich and they are plentiful. Just thinking of when I pray of wanting to be a stronger person or wanting to be a better person, it's those times when really I'm sent the trials because that's what's refining my faith and refining my character and refining my integrity through the fire. I was just sharing with a friend the other day. She's going through a lot of anxiety right now as well. And she's had several crazy things happen to her over the past couple of years. And, um, and her health is starting to be affected because of how, how bad her anxiety is right now. 
And I was able to share with her about how when Rob and I were going through our adoption process, and I actually did a podcast episode on this. It was released November 7th of 2020, or at least the week of November 7th. It was released the week of my birthday because it was a very special episode to me. It was about the story of our adoption in the waiting, I believe is the name of the podcast episode. And during that season of my life, I, I mean, I had been yearning for children from India specifically, like that had been placed on my heart when I was probably eight years old. It was definitely a desire. I I believe what scripture says about God puts the desires in our hearts so that we can follow them. But because there was no reason for it to come from anywhere else. No one in my family had ever been to India. No one had ever adopted in our family. These weren't things that were natural for us. But from when I was young, I knew that's what I wanted to do. I knew that's what I was supposed, it's not just what I was wanted to do. It was what I was supposed to do. And so on our first date, on our first date, I said to Rob, just so you know, one day I'm adopting from India. So if you're not up for that, then we don't even need to continue this relationship. And he was totally up for that. And so we continued the relationship and it was just so important to me. And so when we finally get to the point, Rob gets out of the army, we begin the adoption process. And there was just so much amazing things that happened during that season to even get it started. Like we had never, we had never even known anyone that had adopted from India. And we began praying and fasting about, you know, what God had us to do next. What were we supposed to do? And on January 29th, 2017, we began this prayer. We began this fasting not even about adoption, just in general, like God do whatever in our lives. We are here, we are ready, we're ready for this next phase, whatever it looks like. And like during that season, we entered into a small group at the church we were at. That first night we were there, we met a couple who had adopted from India. It's like, or they were, they were still, they hadn't brought their daughter home yet. They were about a couple of months away from bringing their daughter home. And we'd never met anyone before. And so all of these things began to line up. And Rob ended up being the one to actually reach out to the adoption agency. I remember when we got back from small group that night after meeting that couple, I said, this is a sign. And Rob said, no, we're not ready yet. And I knew I could not push something as big as adoption. And it had to be when he was ready. But the next week, he reached out to the the social worker. He began the process, brought me into it. And um, that's when the anxiety started. That's when all of the thoughts of what if I'm not good enough? What if God has placed this yearning and this desire on my heart when in reality, he just wants to take it away and teach me a lesson? I kept thinking back to the story of Abraham and my fear, like my biggest fear in that season was this is, this is just God like hanging this carrot out in front of me. And he's going to use this as an opportunity to teach me a lesson and to grow my faith more. But in doing so, he's going to take away But 
But in doing so, he's going to take away my heart's greatest yearning. And it still makes me emotional. Because I remember how dark that was. I remember how the loss, the f- knowing that I wasn't in control of any of it and just being scared that God was going to take it away was the scariest place I'd ever been. And for me, in my life, I knew that Satan could never convince me that God didn't exist. But he could absolutely convince me that God wasn't good. And during those two years of my life, I cried, I cried, I cried, I begged God for so many things, but mostly for my children. But in the process, God taught me that he is good. And to this day, I remember when, I remember right before we were going to go and and actually get our children. And I, we were in our bedroom and I looked at Rob and I said, I am a hundred percent confident that this is what God has called me to do. I have never been more sure of anything in my life even though I have no idea what it's going to look like. It was the hardest season. But in that season of me just getting to the point where I realized I can do nothing on my own, I have to completely trust God. It was in that season, my anxiety began to lift. My anxiety has not gotten to the point that it was before when I was in that adoption process. And I also remember saying, I want to remember this. I want to do everything I can to remember how it feels to going from being so scared and so lost and so confused to feeling like God was just right here, like closer than I, I, he was closer than ever. It was the hardest season and it was the sweetest season. And it grew me in ways I would never be able to, to, I said, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book called in the waiting because of all of the things that God did and the way that he answered prayers and the miracles upon miracles that I saw during that season. But the bottom line of it is this. It was during the hardest times of my life that I had the choice. I could either lean in, focus on my beliefs and values, focus on what is God doing within me and what does he want to do through me, even when things suck, even when times are hard. Or I could have made the choice, and I've made this choice in times past too, of just sulking. Just sitting in my pain, sitting in my inadequacy, sitting in my anger, my frustration, and letting that become my identity. That's never 
what has made me more spiritually attractive. The forgiveness that I've had to learn for the things that have happened in my past absolutely sucked. Like would never wish anyone to have to go through that process. But the truth of the matter is all of us have been hurt. And many of us have been hurt in ways that are traumatic, little T or big T. And we have the choice. Do we hold on to that bitterness, rage, resentment, anger, or do we choose the narrower path, the harder path, the path of forgiveness, of love, of loving others even when they don't deserve it? Doesn't always mean reconciliation, but how does the posture of my heart need to change? These are the things I have been wrestling with over the past year. God, change my heart. God, change my heart. And for those of you who aren't Christians, then asking yourself, what do you need to do to change your heart? What mindset do you need to incorporate into your life to change your heart? towards the hard things that have happened, towards the people who have hurt you, towards the things that are holding you back from fully loving and embracing life and being able to fully love and embrace other people, even when they're different from you, how do you need to change your heart? And that is the question I will leave you with. So this episode was a bit different, more personal, more musing, so to say, of the things I've been thinking of recently. But if it is blessed you in any way, I would love to know. You can always leave a review wherever you're listening to this up to a five star review, but you can also find me on Instagram, reach out, let me know if something resonated with you or even just a takeaway that you had. Here's my key takeaways that I hope that you got from this episode that I shared with you. The first is spiritual attraction is important. I would definitely say it's more important than physical attraction for a long-term relationship. And it's right up there with emotional attraction. It, and here's why, because it is the core of who we are. Our spiritual attraction, our beliefs and values form our character, our integrity, and our purpose. Because they are the things closest to us. They are the things we hold nearest and dearest. You should choose those things wisely. And you should not let those things be formed by Fox News or CNN. That will, that will absolutely affect the way that you see and love other people in your life. Because the goal of this isn't to become just the most religious person or the most perfect person or the most morally sound person. It's to become a person who loves others and shows that love through how you treat them, how you listen to them. That is what's key. And in order for me to become the most spiritually attractive that I can be, I have the choice in times that are hard, that are stressful, that are not what I would ever want anyone to go through. In the worst of times, am I going to choose to lean in, press through and seek something greater than myself for a purpose greater than myself? Or am I going to choose to have the victim mentality? instead of a victor mentality, because you have that choice. And then finally, what can you do to change your heart? Who do you need to change your heart towards? And maybe the answer is you need to change your heart towards yourself because you have been angry at yourself, negative to yourself, all of those things to yourself. 
maybe that is what needs to change. But I would even encourage you during that time to think about what are the times up until now? What are the times in your life so far that maybe have been the hardest seasons of your life? But what were the silver linings? What were the things you learned? How did it make you a better person? How did it make you come out stronger? And how can you use what you learned to bless other people? Those are my key pies takeaways. Leave a review, share this with a friend who may need it. Reach out to me, Kimberly Beam Holmes on Instagram or wherever you want to find me, which is really only going to be Instagram if we're going to be honest, but I would love to hear from you. Until next week, stay strong.